following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. Join me, if you would, in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. One of the challenges of the Christian life that many of us wrestle with, and uh, I would say in the church we commonly wrestle with, and that is this question of what are we to do once we have become followers of Jesus Christ? So, in uh, many times in churches we'll, the gospel is preached, or, and, and we know we're supposed to turn from sin to faith in Jesus Christ, and we pray to receive Him as Lord and Savior. We get baptized, declaring our faith and our alliance with Jesus. And then what? We, we have transferred from one family to another. Whether you knew it or not, that is exactly what you did. When you put your trust in Jesus, you became a part of the family of God. And now the question is, how then shall we live? Years ago, and I've probably shared this story with you, but some stories, just like uh, Larry was saying, they just stick with you because they are powerful in some way. And so I remember having a conversation, well, several conversations, over a period of months with a young man, we'll call him Tim, that's not his name, but yeah, he was in one of the facilities I worked in, and it was kind of like a juvenile detention type place, and, and he would go on and on and about my grandpa this and my grandpa that, and he's got a boat and he's got a truck and he's got this refrigerator, and all i got to do is open the door and there's all this food in there, and I'm like... Yeah, Timmy, that's kind of how a, free, a fridge works. But he was going on and on about all of this stuff. And I thought maybe he was what, doing what you call lionizing his grandpa. And then I finally met him, and it, it turned out his, his grandpa really seemed to fit the bill of what Timmy was describing. And, and as I'm talking with Timmy, he tells me a story. And one of the things I've come to know about country folks is when they tell you a story, it's because they're trying to teach you something or help you understand the world a little bit better. In this story, he was trying to help me understand Timmy's world a little bit better. And he said, one day I took Timmy to this shop. And I'm talking with the shopkeeper, you know, because country folks, they know each other and they actually talk to each other when they run into each other at the store. And so he's talking and then he realizes Timmy's gone. And he's looking all around for Timmy. And when he finally finds Timmy, finds Timmy he was digging in the dumpster of the pizza shop, getting scraps of food to eat. And then he looked at me and said, all Timmy had to do was tell me he was hungry, and I would have bought him a pizza. And what he was telling me was something, he's, one of the things I catch about this is, Timmy had been adopted by his grandfather. Grandpa was now his dad, and he was, uh, by all reason, a good dad. But he had grown up in his mom's house, and mom was... Well, she was made in the image of God, and that's about the best I can find to say about her. She was uh, on drugs, and she would prostitute herself so she could buy drugs. And Timmy knew this at a very young age. And there wasn't always food in the house, so Timmy learned to go dumpster diving. And so now, even though he's in this new family, and he's got a great dad who provides for him, he occasionally still would go dumpster diving. He wasn't sure how you're supposed to live now in this new family that he is living in and being raised in. 
As a Christian, a lot of times we wrestle with how are we supposed to live now that we are in this new family of God. In the book of Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul gives us what Chip Ingram describes as the executive summary of the Christian life. And here he describes for us how we as the children of God are supposed to live now that God is our Father. Please join me. We're going to read Romans 12, 1 through 3, and then jump down to verse 9 through 13. 9 through 13 is our main passage, but it really builds off the first two or three. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, watch this, that God has assigned. Jump down to verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for today and the opportunity to gather in your house. Indeed, our cup is overflowing because you have blessed us so greatly. We pray that you'd uh, help us to remember how much you have blessed us with, including the fact that we are children of God through faith in Jesus. And if there are any here who have not put their trust in you for salvation, I pray that this morning they would, that the Holy Spirit would grant them repentance and faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's Father's Day, and one of the unique things about Jesus that he said was essentially that there are two families you can be in, and there's only two fathers you can have, Satan or God the Father. And, and so those are your only two options. There's not a third option. There's not another option. There's not joint custody. It's God or Satan, period. Now, that doesn't play well in 2023 in America, but it's the truth from Jesus himself, the lily of the valley who people say Jesus would never judge. And there he is saying, Satan's either Satan's your father or it's God. That's it. And he was telling this to the people who didn't want to hear that. Well, here's what's going on in the book of Romans now. What Paul has done from verse chapter 1 all the way through, the, through chapter 11 is to tell us in depth the nature of our salvation and how much mercy God has extended to us. And, and so I'm going to give you the highlights and then dig, bring us back to our passage. First off, he kind of talks about we all like sheep have gone astray. We have all pursued sin. Now, in the church world, I sort of, I'm aware that some people are really excited to talk about free will. And what, what I see in Romans 3 especially is, yeah, we had free will, all right. 
But because we were born with a sin condition from Adam, we all freely chose sin because we wanted sin. We all freely chose to turn our back on God the Father and choose Satan. And therefore the wrath of God is revealed against us because in the heart of hearts we're idolaters. Happy Father's Day. But this is what the Bible teaches. And soft peddling the truth has not served the church very well. And when we start hearing it again, we go, that's hard to hear, but it's the truth. So he's describing our condition. We freely chose to turn our back on God and embrace sin. And he says, but now the mercy of God the, the con- you freely chose sin, and you can't, however, choose the consequence of sin. Because the wages of sin is death. Period. There's not a second option, third option, that's it. There is judgment from God, eternal wrath, unless and until you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And now, through faith in Jesus, we are declared justified and have peace with God. And now... The God who was standing by waiting to give wrath to sinners, you get to call him dad now. And he says, now, because of how merciful God has been to you, here's what I'm appealing to you to do. Don't be, trans- don't be conformed to the world anymore. Give yourself as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? All that I am, all that I have, and all that I hope to be, Lord, I surrender to you. And so then he begins in chapter 12 to describe that. Verse uh, 3 through 8, as Pastor Rob talked about last week, says, hey, God gave you a spiritual gift. Now use them to build up the kingdom, build the church. But now in verse 9, we get to our passage this morning. Christians are to love one another genuinely. Look at verse 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And on your outline, letter A, Roman numeral 1, letter A. Love one another genuinely and purely. Genuinely and purely. Not a mask. We don't do frenemies in church. We love each other. That's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be fake, fictitious. I've watched, I've seen award shows and behind the scenes, these two people, they see each other and they get all excited and hug, but then you find out later they can't stand each other. That's not what we're supposed to be like in the church. It's supposed to be genuine love. This is what it's supposed to be. In the church, sometimes people are brought in that you maybe never would have talked to or associated with, but now they're not strangers, they're family members. And God is our Father. So we love each other. It's not to be a mask, and it's not to be astroturf. Most of you have never been tackled on astroturf. Larry, you might have. But I, in football, most of my practices and games were on grass fields. But a few times I got tackled, and I got to play on astroturf. And it looks pretty, but it hurts because it's not real grass. It might be better now. It's been 30 years, but it would tear you up faster and anything. It would tear your skin up and it hurt. It look, it's unforgiving. Well, that's like fake love. Fake love's unforgiving, isn't it? And so Christians, we are to love genuinely and purely, not a mask, not astroturf. And then in verse 10, he describes uh, faith, our love, rather, in, in family terms. Fa- uh, verse 10, love is described as family love or brotherly love. Well, this makes sense because we're brought into a family 
of God. See, faith in Christ brings us into a family of God. And here he is describing how we are supposed to live now that we are in the family of God. And, and so then he goes on and says, Hey, Christians, outdo one another in showing honor. And as I was looking at it, I said, That sounds like a competition. This week we, at VBS, we had a little competition. We set buckets on the, on the stage, and it was boys versus girls. And uh, day one, the boys kind of took a lead, and I, Carter was kind of puffing his chest out like, that's right. Well, day two, the ladies brought the heat, and they took the lead. And I saw Carter's face like, oh, shoot. And then day three, the kids, Carter, the boys, they, they, they caught up, but the problem was the girls kept giving. And so we had this competition, uh, and the girls won, but they all, ultimately every, the kingdom won. Because what happened was, these kids were trying to outdo each other in showing love. Whether they thought of it this way or not, that's what they were doing. And so uh, Chrissy mentioned it in the announcements, but uh, the money is being sent there. And my favorite thing that they're buying for these kids in places like Malaysia and India, where they, have, like, they don't have air conditioning, thus they don't have... Uh, well, they have screens, that's, or sometimes no screens, and so mosquitoes get in there. And the skeeters eat them up at night. And they carry things like dang fever. And so to keep them from getting sick, they buy these nets that they keep over, over the bed to keep them off. And those kids who, our kids never met these kids and probably never will, but they have outdone, they were laboring to outdo each other in showing loving, love and honor. Could you imagine being in a place where everyone was trying to outdo each other in showing honor and it wasn't fake? Not fake. Real love showing up in honor. And this is what... This is what we're called to be and do. And I would suggest to you when, when an unbeliever, listen, unbelievers don't always like what we teach. Well, let's, just, let's just recognize that. And we've got a couple options. We can soft pedal it. I'm not the guy if that's what you're hoping for. Or we could live life the way God tells us to. And one of the things I've come to believe is that that's actually attractive to unbelievers. That might not mean that tomorrow they're going to say, you know what, I, I like this stuff about the wages of sin is death, but you know, the Christians, when they get together, they, they outdo each other in showing honor. And it's like a family experience when they're together. And it, it, it's an attractive thing when we see that. What we see here is we're being called ultimately, here's my summary, we're being called to love each other the way Jesus loved us. As I was studying for this, you know, I kind of like to separate my sermon prep time out from my devotions. Like, devotions should be separate because for me, sermon prep is like, that's my job, and this is me doing my best to be a normal guy who pastors. And, and so I was doing my devotion, and I'm studying in, in Matthew or John 13, and I, there he comes, there comes Jesus, They're about to have the, 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 the Passover, and it's, it's the Last Supper, and, and there's no servant in the house. So Jesus gets on his hands and knees and starts washing the disciples' feet. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you're, you're Lord and Master. You don't... There's, I know there's no servant here. We'll just go with the dirty feet. And he's like, no, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. And he you know, talks a little bit further, but I want you to catch this. He demonstrated for us an example of outdoing others in showing honor. And so what I'm going to suggest to you is what we are called to do here, I don't think this comes to us naturally. You and I can't work this kind of love up in us of our own accord. We can fake it for a while. But do you want to, can I, side note, we can fake stuff for a while. But is that really how you want the Christian life to be? I can't stand those people, but I'm going to act like I love them. 
like, I know you don't think that way. And, and so what I'm going to suggest to you is this is a, only the work of the Holy Spirit can enable us to love like this. Listen, you, you can't recreate yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't make yourself into the image of God. But Christian, you can put yourself into a position where the Holy Spirit normally works to transform us. Let's think about this. At Calvary, we talk a lot about gather, grow, go. That is the basic pro- pro- process through which the Holy Spirit transforms us. And we can put ourselves in a position to be transformed the way you put yourself in a position to have a, a, a nurse practitioner work on you. I wanted to see one on Friday. So I could have not cooperated, and it would have gone really well, or I cooperated and then she did her stuff. In a similar way, you and I put ourselves in a position where the Holy Spirit works in us. Number one, we gather for worship. And something unique happens when we gather for worship. Number one, we say, you know what, God, because of how awesome we have it here in the United States, we've got all these fun things that we can do, and Sunday is one of my days off, but I'm going to set aside at least this time to step back and say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for making this world the way it is, even though we, it's not perfect anymore, but we thank you for what you've given us here, and I'm going to worship you. Something amazing happens in the heart and mind of a person who says, yeah, I've got some great things that I want to do, but God is more important right now. So we gather for worship. Then we grow in personal Bible study and, and, and group study. One of the things that happens when you, when you study the Word of God out together is that together you catch things that you would have missed on your own. And, and then we think through how can I apply this in life and all the... Listen, if you haven't noticed, our world's changing very fast. And we wrestle with how do I live this out? For example, how do I love people that I know are living very sinfully? Because Christian, hating people that, we, that are living sinfully is not an option for us. I don't know if you're aware of that. I think you are. And so we're kind of like, well, what do we do? Because our culture is like, um, if you love me, you'll endorse everything that I do, even if it's sinful. Well, when we study out the Bible together, one of the things that happens is we catch things we might normally miss. For example, in verse 9, he says, let love be genuine. And at first it appears like he just changes the subject, but actually he's not changing the subject because it's sandwiched. Verse 9 and verse 10 both begin with a statement about love. Sandwiched between those two statements, he gives guidelines for how to love. So let love be genuine, but abhor what is evil. Watch this. Sometimes as Christians we struggle with this, but even the people we love, we, we still should abhor evil. And if you're not sure about that, read the Old Testament. And, and so what does this look like? Well, on Facebook, when I see some, some of my old students from years gone by in the youth group doing things that I know are sinful, I can't click the like button, although they're asking me to by putting it on there. In my life, I don't have a ton of interaction with, with gay people. In the past, I have, and I've had great relations with them. But when they, if they were to put on Facebook, I'm getting married to this person of the same gender, I can't click like. And I certainly can't salute the rainbow flag, even though everyone wants me to. Because while I love my neighbors, I abhor evil. Why? Because Jesus tells me to. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, in case you haven't noticed, it's gotten complicated to live the Christian life, but it's really not that complicated. I can love people and hate what they do. 
That's what I am told to do. Then it goes on to say, cling to what is good. That boy, Timmy, not a lot that I can point to about his mom that I can say, pretty good stuff. So you sometimes got to dig deeper and say, at the very least, she's made in the image of God. And so therefore, I can't hate her or mistreat her. Doesn't mean I like what she says. Another thing, since it's, I'll go the other direction. You know what I'm saying? I actually, while in this world people are saying, let's defund the police, I'm like, I, I kind of like having police around, actually. So if you're going to defund them, can you send the money down to Tilton and we can hire a few more officers? I'd be great with that. So I love the police, and just like most police officers, I abhor the abuse of, the abuse of power. So I can love a police officer, see a video on TV and go, that's wicked and I hate that. You follow? As Christians, we, 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 it's not a simple world, although people want to say, no, you must hate all these people in that group. And we're like, we can't. Christians don't have that option. We don't have the option to hate one group, dislike the other group. We love them and abhor wicked and cling to what is good. Last statement, I find that the police, there's a lot to cling to that's good. Right? But sometimes people make mistakes, and we, even in the pastoral realm, since I do the police, let's do the pastors. I love pastors. I understand what they go through. They're trying, these imperfect men trying to serve a perfect God and serve imperfect people who are not always grateful. I get that. But you know what? There are some pastors who do wicked things, and I abhor it. And so sometimes some of them I have to dig really deep and go, well, they're made in the image of God, and I'll start there. And they do seem to talk about Jesus from time to time. We're not asking for more money while living in a mansion. So as Christians, this is complicated stuff. When we get together and we study God's Word, all of a sudden things start to come to light for us. Verse 11, he then goes on to say, Christians should, sur- should serve God with passion. Serve God with passion. Do not be slothful in zeal. Get up, sluggard. That's what it says in the proverb. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So that word that's translated zeal is synonymous with enthusiasm or being on fire. Being on fire for, for Jesus. Is this important? Well, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, the Lord of the universe seems to say so. Jesus says, he says this to, this to one church that seems to have lost their zeal. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. How do I illustrate that? Well, I'm not a tea drinker, but I can understand that some people like their tea hot and some people like iced tea, but lukewarm tea is kind of gross. But it's worse than that with Jesus. He says, listen, I will spew you out of my mouth, verse 16, because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, and thus in in no way are you refreshing. I will spit you out of my mouth. Zeal matters to Jesus. Maybe right now your Christian zeal is it's, it's hot. But maybe if you're being honest, the time that you were zealous for the Lord was years ago. What do you do with this? Well, assess where you are and ask God to help you. 
I've come to believe that so much of the condition of our Christian life, we think we can work ourselves up into it. And I don't know that that's really the case. Because zeal, faith, hope, love are works of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when a guy or a gal gets a new job and they show up and they're excited, they want to show their employee, their co-workers that they are zealous for the job. They're not knuckleheads. They're going to show up. They're going to be on time. They're going to work. They show the manager, I know what I'm doing, and they're excited, but some time goes on and all of a sudden, well, they're not always on time. And then sometimes they don't show up very, well, sometimes they miss. They call in sick and eventually they just don't show up. You know, eventually that boss, if, unless the economy is really bad, they're going to terminate you. And sometimes the church world's like this. In our Christian life, we start out on fire for Jesus, but over time, for various reasons, the zeal, the thrill has gone away, as the song says. There's a lot of reasons. I've come to know that there ain't no hurt like church hurt. Maybe you got hurt in church. Man, I'll kick the, kick the wind right out of your sail real fast. Knock the wind out of you. You ever had the wind knocked out of you? Hurts. And getting hurt in church will do that. Sometimes uh, our failing health, sometimes we mess up and we're so discouraged and Satan say, yeah, you're a mess up and that's all you're ever going to be. Jesus won't use you anymore. And on and on we could go, but there's a whole lot of reasons why our zeal sometimes fades. If Jesus was sitting next to you and, and you said, my zeal for Jesus is hot, and then he looked at you. What would his face say to you? Would it be saying, are you sure about that? Or say, yeah, yeah you're, you're serving me with zeal. What do you do when you realize it's not what it should be? I think confess. Say, God, I, I realize I've gotten lukewarm. Or maybe you could say, I've never actually been on fire for Jesus. That's a whole other set of questions there. But then say, God, I see where I am. Won't you help me? Won't you kindle the fire in me once again? Let me know that zeal that I had before. Third thing in our passage, Christians should live by faith. Ooh, this is a fun one. Even when times are tough. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now those are three things that appear to be unrelated, but they are not. They are dealing with how we as Christians handle hard times. In Rome, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 1-9, we are told that we walk by faith, not by sight. And that statement is sandwiched in a passage that talks about the hardships that we experience while we live in these bodies of ours. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-9. For we know that this tent, that is our earthly home, he's talking about our body, if our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal to heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. He's talking there about hope. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked, and with nakedness is shame and humiliation. That's how they thought. Verse 4, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. What he's saying is that not that we, uh, we despise these bodies, but we recognize that God's got something better for us coming where we don't get sick. 
We don't get cancer. We don't need pacemakers. Our don't, shoulders don't need replacement. Our knees don't need replacement. We don't have to go to the physical therapist because our back doesn't work right. He's saying, look, uh, we want more, and there's more to come. Verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of, in good courage. They're talking here about patient endurance and rejoicing in hope. We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Sometimes when all we can see is our circumstances are not what we would hope they would be, we walk by faith, not by sight. Specifically when times are tough. Verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we at home, that's heaven, or away, that's earth, we make it our aim to please Him. Make no mistake, when we talk about walking by faith and not by sight, and also here in Romans 12, 12, we're talking about how we live as children of God when times are tough. You see, how we respond to adversity reveals the strength of our faith. And I got, I got to think about that. I had to trim out about 20 minutes as I went on and on yesterday when I practiced, over, went on the sermon. Uh, but I see guys on TV sometimes talk like, if you have good faith, you won't have problems. And what I'm seeing here in the Bible is when you have good faith, you endure them like, when you endure hardship like a child of God should patient in endurance, rejoicing in hope. That is what we are called to be. I saw this play out with a lady named Zell, and I've mentioned her before. As she was approaching death at 99 years old, she was still kind to everybody while her body was uncomfortable. And from time to time, more than once, she told me, I don't know why the Lord doesn't just take me home. By this point, all of her friends had passed away. Her husband had been with the Lord for a long time, and she would joke, my friends are going to think I didn't make it. Apparently, as kind as she was, at one point in the nursing home, she was in hospice then, she snapped, and it was pretty mild, actually. She kind of snapped at somebody. Then she apologized. And the lady just kind of looked at her like, you're uncomfortable. It's no, I already forgave you the moment you said it, but can I suggest to you that her face was revealed more by how she handled adversity than it would be if things were perfect in her body. See, my love for Chrissy was easy to display on the honeymoon. We're on a cruise, a habit-forming experience, if you've never been on one. Everything is set up. you got food when you want it. You can overeat all day if you want. You can pick this activity or go rollerblading if you feel like exercising on a cruise. You can do all that stuff. And they got shows at night. It's pretty easy. It's all set up. It's easy to be romantically in love on a cruise with your bride. But when, when, the, when you get older and you get tired and you just want to go to bed sometimes at 10 o'clock and you got kids running around and the bills are due, and then when hardship hits, guess what? The true nature of your love shows up. The same idea here with faith. 
the true character of our faith is not revealed by a lack of problems in this life. And I have seen preachers say this, and they'll have some things to answer for when they get to heaven, if they get to heaven. The true nature of faith is not revealed by everything being perfect. It's how we handle it when it ain't perfect. One thing, when you're uncomfortable, you tend to say things you wouldn't normally say. Can I tell you, I'm going on a mission trip tomorrow, and I need to take a nap because I'm afraid not because I'm growing with wonderful people. I just know myself. And if I'm sleepy, I might say something I wouldn't normally say. I've done this before. I've belabored the point, but catch this. We cannot work ourselves up into having this kind of faith. In Romans 12.3, the reason I had us read is because that he talks about the fact that God is the one who gives the measure of faith to us. So we can pray that God would give us the faith that enables us to endure hardship like a child of God. Jesus did this perfectly. As he's approaching his death, he basically says, uh, Dad, I don't want to do this. That's in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying and the drops of blood are coming out. He's saying, I don't want to go to the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I don't have that kind of faith naturally. I don't know about you, but I can't work myself up into that. But we can ask God to give us this kind of faith. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to help you know that He is good even when things are hard. And that He is good even when you don't understand why things are the way they are. I can handle hardship a little bit. One thing I have a hard time with is when I can't understand why they're hard. And I'm sure I'm not the only one like that. Ask God to help you praise Him through hard times and thus reveal more fully that you are a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, Christians should meet each other's needs. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Thinking about the fact that this letter was written at a time where there wasn't social security, there wasn't unemployment, there wasn't Medicare, wasn't all of this stuff. You sort of step back and go, okay, now what exactly are we to do here? Well, can I tell you one thing I've come to know? And I will say this especially about senior saints. They struggle with loneliness. And so their need is sometimes just a phone call. As one old rock song said, all the difference in the world is just a call away. I'm waiting by the phone, waiting for you to call me up and tell me I'm not alone. Sometimes it's take people to doctor visits, and sometimes it's hospitality. Tom Rainer once said that most Christians forget what it's like to be a new person in a church. And probably while that person may be a believer in Jesus Christ and they're going to heaven, what they need in that moment is somebody to make them feel like they're part of the family. Can I brag about Calvary really quick? Thursday, we had family night, and we had lots of people here, some of whom I knew, and a lot of whom I didn't. And I, I'm not naturally a social butterfly. Like when I'm doing that, it's me doing stuff I'm not natural with. So we had a little get-together out there, and I'm trying my best to meet 
people, but I'm, I'm realizing I'm not getting to everybody. And then I look up, and there's Chris. He's been talking to this big guy for, I don't know, 20 minutes. I don't know what they're talking about, but they've been talking for quite some time, having a good time. And I look over, and there's another guy I can't get to, and lucky him, he found good-hearted Jake. And they are talking for, I don't know, an hour? I don't know. How long were you talking to that guy, Jake? It seemed like seemed like an hour. See, Calvary was being the children of God, being hospitable. And it was a thing to behold. I get nervous when I see guests show up and I, I don't get to talk to them because I think it's only my job, but it's really not. And I saw people taking this, living this out. You were living like the children of God. See, God's people are to take care of each other and welcome each other like family. We've been talking at length about how then shall we live. Well, God's word calls us to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus in faith and then to live like children of God. To serve God with zeal, love each other genuinely and purely, walk by faith even when times are tough and meet each other's needs. And as we've gone through this, maybe you said you can see areas where you're stronger and areas where you're weaker, or maybe you can remember a time when your zeal was hot, like a bond, an inferno. But maybe it's not right now. Wherever the case is, for the Christian, the response is to ask God to help you grow in those areas. I had this amazing encounter with God this week, and here's what he showed me. You ready? You could put the best sermon together, most accurate interpretation. At the end of the day, nothing happens if God's Holy Spirit does not move. And when you look at your life and you say, man, I, I got some glaring weaknesses here, that's well and good. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you, but you can't fix you. But God wants to. So the invitation for the Christian is take those needs to the Lord in prayer so that together we can be more like the children of God. We are that, but let's do it more. Finally, as Chad comes for our song of invitation, the gospel message is rather simple. We all like sheep have gone away. We have abandoned our Heavenly Father and chosen Satan, and he does not have a good plan for you. But when we turn from sin, turn to Jesus in faith, God becomes our Father. Our sins are forgiven. And we are justified. And now we have access to God and peace with Him. But I want you to catch this. If this morning you have come to the place where you say, I know that that's true, and I know I should come to Jesus, I want you to understand it isn't because I'm talking. It's because God is talking to you calling you to do what you normally wouldn't do on your own. You normally wouldn't turn from the sin that you like to come to Jesus. This morning he says, turn to me, come to me. And if you'd like to do that, I invite you to make your way to the front. I want to help you call on Jesus. He will save you. He will redeem you. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.